Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business. And friends like my friend, Dr. Judy Jasek. Well, we don't let friends feed kibble now, do we, Dr. Jasek? No, ma'am. Not on hump day, not on any day. That's right. Hey, I wanted to ask you really quick before we get into the dog stuff. Do you know how much copper or phosphorus you've had this week? I have a clue. I don't know how much my dogs had either. Or my cats. You know, why do people (laughs) obsess about how much copper or how much phosphorus or how much these little, you know, uh, and they're important, all right? They're important in the big scheme of things. But we don't even have a clue where this is in our food. And yet we get some people that drive themselves crazy because they got to know every little mineral. You know, you know, you know why? Because it's these dang veterinarians that tell them. You know, well, you know, kidney values are up a little bit. And this kidney kidney disease stuff drives me crazy because I'll have people, you know, make an appointment. Oh, my pet's in kidney failure. I'm like, really? And I, I swear, like 90% of the time I look at the lab work and I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> like their values might be like, they could be like high normal on the lab work as like stage two kidney disease. And I'm like, no, they're not. And I'll say, is your pet drinking more water, peeing more? Because those, those are like key signs. How's your pet acting? Perfectly normal. Everything's the same. Check the urine. Urine's, you know, they're concentrating there. I'm like, your pet is not in kidney failure. They're selling, you know, prescription diets, but they always harp on the phosphorus. And they'll they'll take these pets and they put them right away in a phosphorus binder. Ugh. And I said, I, you know, I would not do that. And so, you know, I tell people. You know, if the phosphorus is elevated in the blood work, which that does happen end stage, but that's way end stage. That's where like kidneys are really failing because they do eliminate the phosphorus and they can't do that anymore. Yeah, the phosphorus is going to go up. So then it may be worth adding in a binder just because that one nutrient is an issue because the kidneys can't eliminate it. But up until that point, if it's normal, I, I don't do anything because as we talk about, these nutrients are need to be ingested in together and they're in proper ratios. And so you start limiting the phosphorus. Well, you're going to affect bone health because you need a certain amount of phosphorus to go with the calcium, you know, to make healthy bones. And so you can't just micromanage nutrients and the copper thing. Oh, that's just a new little trend. You know, these diagnoses go through trends, copper storage disorder. It's like so rare. It's like a one in a million zebra diagnosis. But for some reason, the vets are throwing that out, you know. Um, you well, know, if it's like, synthetic, like crazy. if it's synthetic copper, I could see where you might have a problem if you like when they formulate that stuff and they put too much vitamin D, right? Yeah. So you could put too much copper in, sure. Yeah. Um, but on a raw diet, you guys, it's just so clean. Now I can see there, there's this trend that I'm seeing, Doctor Jacek. We've talked about it. People pulling out the bones. And I'm just like, you guys, you have to have bone in the diet. And whether you're going to do that with the better bones, I would do that versus no bone. I 
Uh, somebody said to me the other day, I just would not feel right if I gave my dog these blends because some of these bones are just really sharp. And I'm like, they're raw. They're raw. I get it. They feel sharp to our fingers, I guess. I use my hands a lot, my bare hands a lot when I'm dealing with the food. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, yeah, I, there was one in there the other day, you know, and Asta was like, thank you. I'll just eat that right up. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think they know. look sharp, but the bones, because they're raw, are still soft. You know, they're softer because they're raw. So I don't think, you know, they're just not going to like poke a hole in their stomach or anything. And not those little, little bitty pieces. And I think because they're raw, they're soft, you know, when bones are cooked. Yeah, absolutely. That's when they can be, you know, splinter and be sharp and really cause problems. But I just don't, you know, see it happening with, you know, with the, with the raw, with the raw bones and not in the size of pieces. I mean, I fed that ear blends to my little five pound chihuahua, you know, the last probably 10 years of her life. And she had no problem with those bones and I she's know. itty bitty. I'm like, do you have a a rat dog? I mean, like the size of a rat, like tiny. <laughs> I just yeah. no, it was an Aussie. It was an Australian shepherd. Oh, geez. I'm like, there's absolutely it's absolutely safe, right? And but people get these ideas, you know, in their heads. They yeah. really do. And yet what 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 is so ironic is that they will go to a pet food store and they will get the bones that are roasted. Yeah. Right. Okay. Which is exactly what we don't recommend. Right. And so just trying to, it's again, it's mindset. We talked about this on the cancer webinar. Number one, you guys, we have the cancer webinar up for download now on the website, part one, part two, part three. And uh, they are all right there for you. Just purchase it. It will get, give you the download link. And it is the audio video. Um, th- those are great. Uh, the third part is the alternative cancer um, protocols. Those are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if your dog has a diagnosis of cancer, I definitely would get this series and take a look. Again, mindset, so important. Then we've got diet, the worst things that you can do for dogs while they uh, have cancer or to prevent cancer, right? Right. right. Cancer well, treatment, cancer prevention are very similar. You know, those whole first two um, segments of that webinar really are about general health and keeping your dog healthy and free of all diseases. The third one probably was a little more cancer specific, but really that basic information, how you think about health and providing the basic nutrition and and removing toxins. I mean, that's cancer prevention. You know, I, I, I'd rather start there rather than playing, you know, catch up, you know? Um, So it's really, I think, good information just to keep your pet healthy in general. Absolutely. Now, speaking of cancer, um, the keto diet rears its head all the time. The keto diet. (sighs) Okay. We, we've, you know, I remember Dr. Jasek, and I don't remember what year it was that we started doing these podcasts, but we we talked about keto diets way back then mm-hmm. about how when we look at the ingredients, when you look at the ingredients, being a cancer specialist, it's not really what you want to do for your dog, right? Right. So there's a big difference between 
just achieving ketosis, which you can do and not have a healthy diet. We want optimal nutrition. We, you know, focusing just on getting your pet like into ketosis is sort of like micromanaging a nutrient like phosphorus or copper, because you're only focused on one thing and you're not doing the well-rounded nutrition. And I see some ketogenic recipes out there that are a meat, a veggie and a fat, and probably some, probably a supplement, you know, the equivalent of a multivitamin thrown in, but they're not balanced, not the way we recommend with organs and bone and the natural diet. And you can achieve ketosis with this balanced diet. So it's just important that that part does not get overlooked. Yeah. For some reason, people do like to feel okay that they can pick the meat and they can pick the veggie and they can pick the fat. Well, how do you know? I mean, I don't think it's a big deal to to figure it out. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, at least 10% bone needs to be in there. At least 10% organ. You like 20% organ at least, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is the multivitamin. And again, it's like, which organs do you want to do 20% of liver? That would be a no, you know? So there are some things that you do need to know. But we see that a lot of these companies must have tapped into the way that people like to buy. They like it to be very complicated because it makes it feel like it's more, it's, mm-hmm. it's more, uh, it has more efficacy if it's more complicated. Mm-hmm. It's just not that way, guys. I mean, it's, it's just not. And I've seen that these keto uh, veterinary nutritionists, they're charging upwards of $300 to do a diet that you could find very easily on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, it's really, it's, it's really too bad because I think people just don't realize that, that the, the key of the ketogenic diet really is getting them off of the processed carbs. So once you do that, you're more than 95% of the way there. You could add in a little extra fat, but, and I've done, I've done measured ketogenic diet. I actually done it on myself. I eat pretty much keto. My husband and I both do. And you just feel great on that kind of diet, really low carb and higher in fat. Um, so I've done the measured where you actually have a little, you get a little device and you measure your blood sugar and you measure your ketones. And then as you get more into ketosis, your blood sugar goes down and your ketones goes up and you're looking for certain levels. And I've even done that on pets, but I just got to the point where it's like, okay, that's a lot of extra poking. And I'm really big on, we, we should create, we shouldn't be creating stress on our pets uh, unnecessarily. I mean, sometimes they need procedures, right? But you have to get blood to do this. So you have to be poking your pet and pets don't like to be poked. And, you know, I mean, I did it to myself because I, I just wanted to know, but then I got tired of poking myself. And, but I, but what I found bottom line was, is not necessary. If you're following, you know, these recommendations and we're getting them off of the processed carbs and we're just feeding a, a meat-based diet, they're going to be in, in ketosis and you don't need to do all of these, you know, uh, all of these measurements They're they're going to be there. And it's kind of interesting dogs, glucose, their blood glucose will drop quite low, like into the fifties when they eat this way and they do great. They feel, they, they maintain, you know, a lean body mass and, you know, that low glucose then also, you know, prevents, prevents cancer, but, but it still has to be balanced. And, and another thing about, you know, some of these, these recipes is they say nothing about sourcing. It's just like, yeah, just go to 
the grocery store and buy whatever kind of meat, you know, buy the cheapest. They tell you about the percentages. So again, they're all about like how what the fat to protein ratio is. So you get 80%, you know, um, ground meat that's 80% meat or 20% fat, but they don't say, you know, make sure it's well sourced or grass fed or any of that stuff. So you have no idea this meat could be just, you know, toxic as all get out. And uh, they're not addressing that. They're just too focused on one thing. And the, you know, the keto industry, they, there's a couple of kibbles out there that they, that they support. I think we talked about those way back when too, you, you can't have a keto kibble. Like it's just, it's just, it's just impossible, you know, that you can, but well, they're just like the jumping raw wrapped. The, that's the raw yeah, wrapped kibble. It's a, raw wrapped, it's a raw wrapped kibble. Yeah. So it's got some raw on it. So it's, so it's better. So I just feel like just, if you're going to take that approach, be really careful, be aware that you still need to have a balanced diet. And that industry is focused on the, the ketosis part of it and not necessarily on the best nutrition. Well, that industry is focused on money. Um, well, that too. I, I really think that if people would subscribe to pet food industry, I mean, you would see what I'm talking about. Um, what they, I mean, they just, everything is about the dollar. Everything is about uh, the the ROI. Everything is about the wording and how we get pet parents to buy the product. That's what it's all about. And I was laughing about, not laughing, it makes me, it makes me really mad, but this is what they do. They look at what pet parents fears are, what the concerns are, how they talk. It's sort of like SEO. So uh, I think Mm -hmm. I mentioned this before SEO, you need to speak whatever market you're in. You want to speak the language of that market because people across the United States speak differently depending upon where you are. Um, But this article says UK dog food brand launches meat like wet vegan product. Now, Hmm. just that entire sentence there makes my heart hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so what they want is they want, Dr. Jasek, they want a vegan product for a carnivore that isn't mushy, like, you know, the vegan food. They want it to look like the carnivore's food. Mm -hmm. This is what they're launching. Right. Right. Because they're playing on the emotions. So this is so for people that are vegan, want to feed their pet a vegan diet, but they know maybe that isn't quite right. They're going to feel less guilty because it what looks like meat. Well, they said that it's it's an enjoyable experience for the pets that consume vegan pet food. Now, I don't know. I lit. I have not heard dogs complaining that they're not enjoying <laughs> uh, said food. I don't know. My my dog eats his food in about 30 seconds. So I think he's enjoying it quite well. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Max, he is growing like a weed. We, we, You said that you're taking him down slides. I think you need to do videos and show us you and Max going down the slide together. Yeah, I just need to get somebody to have to bring have to bring Chris along with me one of these times and he can he can videotape us going down. It's pretty it's pretty fun. But the, it's a good experience for him, right? Because he's you know, he's he's just shy of four months and you want to expose puppies to lots of different stuff. And it 
and it builds their uh, their confidence. And as you know, you know, shepherds need to use their brain. They're, they're, they're not happy just laying around, not doing anything. And it's just that constant stimulation is, is really, is really good for him. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to have a more, um, you know, physical and a little more gregarious breed than, than my chihuahuas were. They would have been like, are you kidding me <laughs> going down that thing? Right. Now you um, have let Max touch the ground and he's not four months old. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind, Dr. Jasek? I don't know. He's still living. Uh, you know, he's getting too big. I can't carry him around. He's like 25 pounds. So, you know, it's a little too heavy to carry. So yeah, he, he's just on his own. He's and like I was saying, he's everything, everything. I mean, everything. I mean, I find, you know, he brought a dead mouse in the house yesterday and it'd been dead for a while because it stunk, you know, but now he's alive this morning. I don't know, somehow survived it. You know, it has bones and everything in there and he's still survived it. What, what is that narrative that people think, and I see it, you know, the puppies, we have new puppies, they'll come to the warehouse and they're like, oh, I can't let it around another dog. I can't let it touch the ground. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not a certain age yet. And I'm like, what, 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 where is the actual research that says that is logical? Yeah, it's, 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 again, it's the mindset about, you know, it's, it, it really depends on how you look at disease. If you believe in the terrain theory where you keep the pet healthy, you don't, you know, poison them with vaccines and other preventatives and you feed them a good diet and that their immune system is going to be, and this is how puppies build their immune system, right? Eating all this stuff because their body is constantly getting, I mean, he's digging in the dirt and getting all those soil microbes and all of that stuff. He's building his immune system. And I think this is just going to make him more resilient. Whereas if you keep them isolated from all that, it's just like kids. They say that kids that are out there, you know, playing the dirt have much stronger immune systems, but it's, it's the theory that there's these, you know, boogeyman viruses and these microbes just waiting to attack, just waiting. They're just lurking out there, just waiting to attack your pet, you know, uh, as long as, unless they're, you know, more than eight feet away from them, then they're okay. Or six oh, feet or whatever. Six feet. Yeah, six six feet. feet. As long as they're six feet away from them, they're okay. But it's, it's that theory that there's these things out there waiting to attack your pet. And it's just simply, it's simply not true. And people don't sometimes focus on the things they should be focusing on. Like, are you walking your pet where there was glyphosate sprayed or, you know, um, I was talking to a client last week Had a dog had some kind of weird neuro, it sounded like a, like kind of a mild seizure where the dog really like kind of blinked out for a bit and um, just started the dog on some herbs. So of course she's like wanted to see the ingredients in the herbs because she was sure that the herbs had caused this episode. And I was reassuring her that it did not. And I asked her, I said, well, where do you take it up? Well, we had just gotten back from the park. I'm like, early. I said, do they spray? And she said, well, I've never seen them. And I said, well, she lives in Nevada. I said, if there's grass there and you're in Nevada, it's sprayed. It's just like when we were in Colorado, you have any finely groomed park, I can guarantee you that it's full of chemicals, you know, because you don't have, lawn doesn't grow naturally in climates like Colorado and Nevada. Right. If, you have a, if you have a beautiful green lawn, um, it's, it's sprayed, you know, here in Tennessee, things are green, you know, and there's just, there's a lot of weeds and stuff, but I don't think people 
worry so much about, oh, you got to have this, you know, certain kind of lawn and stuff. Um, it's just whatever happens to grow here naturally. And then they just cut it short. Um, so people might spray their driveways and stuff. And I don't think people here spray their lawns. I don't think people here really walk their dogs. It's kind of interesting. I think because people have land, like, cause I'll take Max out and about. I really don't see too many people. I'll see an occasional person walking a dog, but no. Cause the dogs are running people. free. Like they should be. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure Max knows how to pay attention to me, you know? He can run free here, you know, and he does, but um, I want to make sure that I mean, that's one dog I can take anywhere and he's right. behaved. I mean, that's the idea. Most of the time he might just be hanging out here, but we do want to put him in the car. He loves to go for car rides. So we put him in the car and take him somewhere and I can take him out and he'll be well behaved. You know, that's my, that's my goal. So, um, you know, expose him to all these different things, but I think, you know, people, just the dogs just hang out on their properties and. So it's different, different culture. I mean, in Colorado, I could have stood out in front of my house and in 30 minutes, there would have been 10 dogs pass by. You know? Right. <laughs> it's very different, but that's city, that's city. You know, people have to take their dogs out on leashes. Um, I wanted to ask you about car rides and dogs that get sick. The, what do you, you know, like Lozzie, Lozzie, since the day she was born, she has been in a car or kennel going to training because she was our trainer's dog, our puppy. Mm -hmm. So she gets in the car and goes to sleep. She's just mm -hmm. like, this is, it like rocks her to sleep. Then you have other dogs that get in the car and they just are throwing up. They're shaking like a leaf. Um, it really is bothersome to them. What do you think that difference is? You know, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I exactly know the answer because Max, so we picked Max up from this farm. He was, I think, just under up nine and a half weeks old when we got him. And we got there and the guy says, I'm so sorry. Our dairy cow just freshened and we just gave the puppies and all the dogs a big bucket of milk. And he was like bloated tight, <laughs> his milk. And he said, I'm really sorry. He's probably going to throw up on the way home. And he didn't. And he's fine in the car. He, same thing, just gets, loves to go for car rides, curls up and goes to sleep. But I have seen puppies and even puppies that were not vaccinated, they get in the car and they're just, I don't know whether it's stress or nerves or motion sickness. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I could see if puppies have had a lot of vaccines because that might just be disrupting their system and even their neurologic system, maybe their sense of balance. But, you know, I've seen that in puppies that, that, haven't been vaccinated too. So I, I don't know. I don't know why they would be, you know, so, so fearful or so nervous just getting in the car. Well, I mean, could it be some vestibular, is it vestibular? Vestibular thing. Yeah. But they're a little mean, like off balance. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I think that like what you're doing with Max experience, uh, exposing him to the slide and you said that there's another is it a bridge that is a uh, held together by yeah chains? it's like it's like planks held together by by trains chains i think it's supposed to be like a drawbridge or something but it moves you know and he's nervous about it but you know i just i walk across and i encourage him and um you know he he does it so he's he's learning you know he's figuring stuff out but that's what i you know want him to use his brain he gets in circumstances he's like oh you know, I got this, but, but he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't freak out. You know, I see some dogs and I think that's what it 
takes, you have to really expose them to lots of different things. So like with the car rides, I could say, well, maybe the puppy just wasn't in the car and wasn't used to it. But Max had never been in a car before when I got him. He'd never had a, a collar or a leash on or anything. He'd just been hanging out on the farm. So and I had a carrier in there and he was fine. He didn't even whine and cry or nothing. He just kind of curled up in there. He didn't know who we were or anything. And he was just okay about it. So, um, but I think it's, you know, getting them used to it, it does help. But, you know, I, I, I've had clients that like, they like would live when I was in Colorado, they live up in the foothills and they drive their, their dogs down and be like a half hour ride. And like, they'd be coming in. Uh, I need some paper towels because my puppy threw up like six times on the way down. So hmm. um, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure whether it's a personality thing. I'm assuming that most dogs outgrow that. Um, but yeah, I, I've not experienced any of that with Max. He throws up things that eats that he shouldn't. Um, but you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I hear pet parents say, I know every single thing that goes into my dog's mouth. Yeah. Right. Sure and I'm <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Lazzie will run around the corner of the house because she loves to sit on that hill uh, on the side of the house. And I have no idea what she picks up. There's no yeah. possible way unless you have, even if you have a dog on the leash 24-7, but certainly in a place like you have acreage and you have a puppy who likes to put his mouth on everything mm -hmm. right and even if he does throw up you're not freaking out and i i i mean obviously that is because number one you're a vet uh and and a a smart vet a holistic vet and uh you've been doing a raw thing for a long time you studied the you know germ theory versus terrain theory theory so i think when you're not afraid and when you're educated about where the boogeyman really lies and where it doesn't lie, you can, you can relax. And if you relax, then your dog can relax. Right. I mean, if he throws up, but then he's like acting perfectly normal and ready to, you know, eat next time I feed him. And I'm like, Oh, there's probably something in there that shouldn't have been there. Like he, we've got this, these fruit trees. I'm not sure. I think they're apricots or something. He just eats them. They're all over the ground. Like I can't stop him from eating them and he chews on them and most of them are green and he threw up one of those pits the other day and immediately picked it up and started chewing on it again <laughs> you know like, i mean what are you gonna do that is one thing that in the transition from kibble to raw that really does freak some people out it doesn't happen with every dog but they might vomit right one it could be temperature two it's a brand new um substance or protein that's going in their body maybe it's it's real protein they've never had that before so i had someone call me a couple of days ago and they said i don't know what to do uh i'm feeding this fish and my dog's you know threw it up and i said well warm it up you know thaw it out chop it up, take the tail off, take the head off, see if that works, you know? Yeah. I think the digestive system, I mean, it is, it is a transition. It's something different, especially if it's a pet that's been on, you know, been eating kibble for a number of years. You know, I find that puppies, I mean, I know Max had some kibble out on the farm. They were still, they were feeding some kibble. They got farm scraps and stuff too, milk and things like that. But um, I don't think he had a very well balanced, balanced diet, but he was getting some kibble, but I find that most puppies 
because they haven't been, um, their, their GI tracts have not been insulted with that kibble for as long. They usually just do great with a just cold turkey transition. I think the, uh, and that they just, they won't even touch the kibble anymore, but I think adult dogs, like their, their di- I look at it like their digestive tracts have been damaged by all those years of kibble and it has to heal. And we're asking it to make a transition and digest something differently. And it just sometimes takes a little bit, or maybe they need, you know, a little bit of digestive support, you know, one of the um, digestive supplements that you sell, you know, just to like the Adore B supplements, just to, just to give their digestive tract a little bit of a boost. Plus if they've been on lots of medications, um, they've wiped out a lot of their healthy microbiome. So that needs to be replenished. And that just, that just takes time. So you just don't give up if your dog, you know, vomits the first, the first meal or two and, and don't go back to kibble. You don't, you have to get them off. You have to get rid of the problem and the kibble, is the biggest part of the problem. So it's better to stick with the raw diet and add in a little bit of healthy digestive support to help them with the transition. We just don't get to the root of the problem, which is the food. Right. Right. Get off Purina Pro Plan. I'm not certain what the marketing is for Purina Pro Plan, but they sure do have a lot of dogs jacked up. Oh, yeah. They sure do. And, you know, when, when dogs are itching too, that, that the whole point of, or why the diet causes the itching gets missed because they harp on the proteins. So, you know, how often, oh, well, I tried chicken and makes my dogs itch. And I tried salmon and makes my dog itch. And I tried beef and my dog still itches. Like, well, are those all kibbles? And if the answer is yes, it's not the meat that's in there. I mean, well, it's not, doesn't have much nutritional value because it's been so highly processed, but it's these processed carbohydrates and these other, who knows what is in there. That's what's causing the problem. But people and vets tend to focus on the, the meat protein and it doesn't have anything to do with them. They're like missing the whole point of why that kibble is making the dogs itch. It's the processed carbs and the toxins, and the unhealthy oils and all that stuff. That's what's damaging the gut and causing the problem. The meat's the best part of it. Now it's not very nutritious in a kibble because it's been high temperature processed, but right. that's the health, still the healthiest ingredient in there. And yet that's what uh, people and vets tend to pick on. They just tell, you know, go feed a vegan diet because I, yeah. I actually talked talk to somebody um, last week that said, yeah, my dog's allergic to animal protein. Like what? Hmm. That's interesting. So what are we going to do? It wasn't like a protein. It was animal protein. So, so I have to kind of talk. So about, your dog's like, a well, vegan. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Your dog prefers a vegan diet. But what they do? Put them on hydrolyzed protein? The dog was on hydrolyzed when I started talking to them. Now I did talk, I talked to them about like what we're talking about here and hopefully they'll make the, you know, transition. You know, i talk to them about, because the, the diets that they had tried had lots of other stuff in. So I talked to them about, let's just do basic meat, bones, organs. as was just last week. So fingers crossed that the dog does okay. And I can get them to see that it's the other stuff in the food that the dog might be, you know, might be reacting to. Cause we just don't know. There's other ingredients, people, you know, sometimes dogs are on multiple supplements. We just oh, don't yeah. know what they're reacting to. And we've talked about this before too, just when there's all this stuff and it's not clear what's going on, then just get down to the basics, meat, bones, organs, and 
see, you know, if we see an improvement and then, you know, we can build from there. But I think, I think a lot of times people just give a lot of unnecessary supplements that they, the pets don't need, and they're spending a lot of money unnecessarily. They'd be better off just focusing on the basic foundational diet and their pets would be a lot healthier and they could afford it if they weren't feeding all the supplements. Eventually you have to change sort of how you uh, approach things because I remember when we very first started this business, it was like, I was fighting for those dogs, you know, every single day. And I still fight for the dogs, but I fight for it in a very different way. And one thing I realized that if, if the mindset is, I'm not doing raw no matter what. I'm not going to challenge my vet no matter what. I'm not going to challenge the uh, germ or terrain theory. You know, I'm not going to believe in that at all. I'm not even going to look into it. There is really nothing I'm going to be able to say. And and those dogs will suffer. And Mm -hmm. we see it and it's heartbreaking. I can't imagine what you see, right? Because you're seeing Mm -hmm. Cancer, yeah. Cancer dogs oh, yeah. come in, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. and most and of them. Occasionally, I'll see one where I would say the people have done things pretty well. Like they're on raw diets. They've at least minimized vaccines. You know, a lot of people do rescue dogs, and they come with what they come with. But then people will back off on vaccines, and so then I think those dogs are getting cancer because of external toxins, but or environmental toxins, but. Um, for the most part, they're dogs that have been poisoned, you know, with vaccines and pharmaceuticals and um, poor diets for, for many, many years. You know, we're starting a, a new like program here with our clients, primarily for new clients, where we have a series of videos. And uh, the first one that we have out is, are we a good fit for you? Um, because I just, we're just getting clients that aren't. And I'm like, and I talked to this one guy a couple of weeks ago, he was a tech in a human chemotherapy area. He was like a technician in that industry. And he's like, his dog was diagnosed with lymphoma and he's like, oh, and people, they just have made all these wonderful advances and all these new medications. And I just wish they were, you know, they would catch up in veterinary medicine. I'm like, why are you talking to me? Like we are so different ends of the spectrum. So, and it's not helping anybody, right? It's not, you know, it's frustrating for me because there's just nothing not much I can do really to help in that scenario. And they might walk away feeling like they just wasted their money. So we're putting out videos and I'm putting out videos with just the basic information. So before I talk to a client, um, they're going to get video on nutrition. I recorded, I mean, presentations with slides and everything on nutrition, on vaccines and on the natural flea and tick and heartworm preventatives options there. And, and because I say that information over and over and over again, and that takes up a lot of time during our consults. And I feel like I can be more targeted um, during the consult, more specific for the pet's needs. Cause yeah, these things will need to be tweaked, but if people have the basic information, I think we can be more, more targeted um, to the pet's specific needs. Then they can answer questions and, and help fine tune things. But I'm sure also, I, I mean, I miss information sometimes too. I don't, you know, get to everything because we run out of time. So I think it'll be more comprehensive. Hopefully it's, it's well-received, but um, I just think this basic information is so important because if people are not willing to do that, then it's just not, you know, they're could be just wasting their money and wasting our time. And, you know, so I want 
we're putting up there up for out there up front how we roll and hopefully we'll get more uh, more like-minded people that way one of the questions i get is is or the statements my dog has this 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 disease can i feed my dog raw well first of all they were created to eat raw so i don't understand why a um you know, uh, some sort of diagnosis would keep your dog from eating the food that they were created to eat. See, this right. is where it's, it doesn't make sense, Dr. Jason. Right. Absolutely. I mean, why would you deprive your dog if your dog is sick? That's the most important time to be feeding them optimal nutrition. And this is optimal nutrition because it's what they're meant to eat. It's species appropriate. It's food for a carnivore. So it's the most important time to be feeding them this way, but then people, you know, are afraid or, you know, a lot, and a lot of it is what they hear from the conventional vets, sadly, that, you know, that's the raw is bad and you have to feed these, you know, with kidney disease, you know, we were talking about, you know, we have to feed this low protein diet. You can't just restrict the protein that they need. You know, the kidneys need protein to be healthy and it needs to be a species appropriate protein. So these, prescription diets are just horrific. They're really, really um, damaging the pets. And, and, you know, people will say, well, my, you know, pets lab values improved on this diet. Well, maybe because it was on a worse diet before, <laughs> you know, like, and now it's on a lower protein diet, but those proteins are so bad for the pet that maybe they are doing better because they need less corn and they feel better when they're eating less corn, but, or wheat or whatever they're using for the protein source. But, um, but they're not for long-term nutrition. Yeah, I just, I think the thinking, the mindset, again, is so important because if you think about it, have we evolved to eat fast food? We can eat fast food. We do eat fast food. Cancer is certainly on the rise. Diabetes on the rise. All types of disease are on the rise. So- you know, we have to understand just because we can doesn't mean that it's good for us, right? right? And I hear this argument all the time. Dogs have evolved mm-hmm. to eat kibble. No, we have forced it on them because it's convenient and it's cheap. Right. If Even dogs if it's have, not cheap. If dogs had evolved to eat kibble and it was so great for them, then why are we seeing cancer rates go up? Why are pets getting sicker and sicker and sicker? If this stuff that the conventional veterinary medicine camp is saying is so good for pets. Why are we seeing two thirds of dogs get cancer and younger and younger ages? I mean, if this is working so well, why aren't pets getting healthier? And they're not, I mean, that was my wake up call. That's why I started, you know, looking into other things and learning about fresh food feeding years ago, because like, it's just so clear to me that what I had been taught to recommend was not helping pets. It, it's I, and I just don't understand why more vets, maybe they see it and they just ignore it. Um, I think it's just too convenient to just do the standard of care and do what you're told, and you don't get in trouble. And it's it's really it's really disgusting. It's really disheartening just to see where the profession has gone. I don't think that's going to change. I mean, if you look at what has come out of the the scandemic okay mm-hmm. the pandemic where they are showing that there was really never any basis for a lot of the things that they said 
And yet mm-hmm. we're still going back to it. And yet there are still colleges, there are still doctors, there are still you know, people that are advocating for mask, advocating for the booster. And as if we haven't had enough damage done, right? right? So when there's evidence, it almost seems as if they just come out with the propaganda even harder, right? We are not going to let go of our narrative. So we're just going to, we're just going to push it harder and harder and harder. And I was listening to Dr. Merritt yesterday and, um, you like Dr. Merritt, Dr. Lee Merritt as well. She's mm-hmm. the rebel, um, medical rebel. She was a spinal, was she a spinal uh, surgeon? Mm-hmm. Spine orthopedic, surgeon? orthopedic and spinal surgeon. Yeah. But she was talking about where the Spanish flu mm-hmm. originated. Have you heard that one? Mm-hmm. I've heard her talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't realize. So I asked this to my staff yesterday. I said, where do you guys think the Spanish flu originated? They were like, I don't know, Spain. Spain. <laughs> they were like, Spain. And they were naming off these places. I said, how about Kansas? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, what? And just going back and listening. Because the to- Kansas flu just doesn't roll off your tongue. Is what- <laughs> the Kansas flu. <laughs> yes, it's just not as powerful as the Spanish flu. But what was really uh, interesting was it, it really had nothing to do with germs. It had everything to do with uh, it, it it started at this military base because um, all of these guys were going there to become telegraphers, right? So when the mm-hmm. telegram came out. And and so it's a very interesting um, talk based on information that uh, the research that they've done. And she said, Here, here's what was happening. So these guys were getting sick, right? They, they had fever. Bayer at the time... Uh, just came out with this news that aspirin can lower fever. So they were giving these guys handfuls of aspirin, Mm -hmm. which was thinning their blood. Then um, they were bleeding into their lungs. So they were coughing up this blood and basically they drown in their own blood. Mm -hmm. And it's just this fascinating um information and she says you know if you really go back and you look at diaries and you look at the media or the things that you could look at back then um Mm -hmm. uh the the news so to speak that they had she said it wasn't a big thing it wasn't like you know the pandemic she said so they've inflated these numbers that all these people were dying of this spanish flu and it wasn't even that And it's been, this has been going on for hundreds of years. Like it's like, you know, COVID was probably the biggest example of that. But yeah, this sort of thing, this propaganda campaign is going on. Yeah, I think she said she has her grandfather's diary and yes. she read his diary for this time period. And he's like, yeah, we all kind of got got a little sick, but it wasn't it wasn't any big deal. And another thing she said that was interesting regarding that too is that the guys that came from the city where they were already exposed to a little bit of this electro- electromagnetic radiation did not get as sick as the farm kits that had completely clean lifestyles. And it, so the change was really hard on their bodies. And those guys got a lot sicker. And, you know, she delves into this a lot. Dr. Cowan delves into this a lot where you can go back to any of these past supposed pandemics and link them to toxicity. Polio is DDT. 
DDT came out and then all of a sudden there's all these neurologic symptoms and what, and then they, they blame it on this boogeyman virus, this polio virus. And then miraculously we get a vaccine and it goes away. Well, they also stopped using DDT. Then they said they get, they credit the vaccine, but it was really, you know, all toxicity. And, you know, this is, I think it's important information for people to realize because then what is rabies? Does that even exist? Because so many pets are being harmed by these rabies vaccines and people need to put, we have to be pushing back. We have to be pushing back or we're just going to be, you know, run right over. I, I've heard here in Tennessee, there are some counties that require rabies vaccines every year. Well, ah. if you live in a county like that, then go to your county officials, say, look, you know, can we do tighter tests? They may not let go of the whole rabies agenda, but maybe you could convince them that, you know, hey, could I do a, a tighter test if I show my pet has antibodies? Could, would that be acceptable? Because if you just keep rolling over, it's nothing's going to change. If you just sit and complain, um, nothing's going to change. So you have to start, you have to start pushing back. So when they gave, so when these guys, when they said, oh, it's the Spanish flu or whatever it was, she said that they obviously came out with a vaccine, right? Here, we've got this vaccine, she said. And so six months later, all of these people that got the vaccine, there was this huge outbreak of meningitis. Yeah, right. Which Dr. Cowan talks about the same thing on the polio, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they came out. So so people want to say, well, like your um, your your patient who came in or your pet parent who came in and said, oh, they've made so many great advances in chemo and this and that. Mm -hmm. This is the narrative that we hear from people who are pro um, you know, vaccine. Oh, look, it cured polio. It cured the chicken pox. You guys, most of you guys have not researched this at all. You've heard someone say it mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah. That's why. And you and I talk about this all the time. Things that we hear on, on the human side, we're like, you know, is that even true? I need yeah. to see the studies. What do we, you know, and who's doing the studies again? Yeah. Right. You know, it Another interesting thing about that uh, Spanish flu that Dr. Merritt talks about. So there's this, when a bunch of people get sick at the same time, there's this automatic assumption that they're spreading something back and forth. Not that there's a common toxicity, but that they're spreading it. Well, they actually took snot from people that were sick and, and put it in the noses of other people. I mean, they tried to make people sick and they could not demonstrate that it was contagious when they did it that way. So people in the same like location were getting sick, but they could not take, you know, like uh, snot from them and make somebody else sick. So that tells you right there, it's not contagious. This is not something contagious that they, that they want us to believe it's some outside toxicity, which is what COVID is. So they, she was, she was talking about that. She said that they had some guys that were in the brig, right? They were in the brig. And so to commute their sentences, they had them sign up for this experiment where they had someone who was dying of this Spanish flu, whatever it was. And as they exhaled, they would have these guys that volunteered for this to inhale. Yeah. They were yeah. literally trying to make a person sick. They tried all different ways and they could not do it. All right. Right. And they, and they tried it with, uh, you know, horses had the, some mm -hmm. sort of respiratory disease. So they put this, um, 
you know, thing on the horse's face so that all that spittum and all that juice and all that stuff could be in that um, mask, so to speak. It was a sort of a big mask for like a feedback thing. Yeah, a feedback. And um, then they put it on another horse. They couldn't they could not replicate it. They could not replicate it. So why are we standing six feet apart? Why are we wearing a mask? Do we even know? Right. That that is what happened. I yesterday, somebody said to me, "Oh, somebody got COVID. They went and took a test." And I'm like, "How? Those tests are so bogus. Totally, they are bogus." Carrie Mullis, rest in peace. Um, you know, had said these are not diagnostic tests. Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it with the PCR test. Right. So right ramp it up, you know, do the cycles uh, like you're not supposed to do. And uh, let's get all these false positives. And, and there was, and there was some guy, a doctor, I think he's been, he was uh, eliminated, but um, he tested like a pomegranate and a goat and some milk or like a bunch of just other things. And they all tested positive for COVID. So, I mean, come on, it tests for absolutely nothing. I think these, te- there's just a certain number of tests that however they make them are going to test positive, no matter what you're testing and some will, you know, test negative. So they, how many positive cases do they want? Well, they just put out that many positive tests. I really think that sort of stuff is, is going on because they have an agenda. They have to scare people. It's going to be a lot harder to scare people into this next round. Um, People are already pushing back. I know Tennessee has said no mandates. They won't um, no no mask mandates, no vaccine mandates. Arkansas has, um, uh, South Carolina has. So Chris, my husband and I were joking. We're like, wow, it's going to be like a civil war. <laughs> we'll be happy we're in the South because the Southern states are saying, oh no, not doing this again. And, um, and you know, Tennessee is bordered by like eight other, you know, Southern states. So, you know, that's, that's good. I'm glad to, I'm glad to see that they're, you know, starting to push back. I wish, they wake up to the whole thing with the pets because you just think about that. Well, if what we're saying about infectious disease is not true in people. Well, what if it's not true in pets? And what if rabies doesn't even exist? And that was just another toxicity of some sort. They invented this boogeyman virus and now pets are being killed year after year after year by getting all of these vaccines. You know, we we really have to get these these laws changed. And I, you know, the vets aren't going to do it, the conventional vets. So it might be a matter of go, go talk to your, you know, um, representatives or, you know, say, Hey, we need to make some changes here. And maybe even if they allowed tighter tests, it would at least be a step. You know, you can't go from, you know, probably a yearly mandate to no, we're just going to stop doing it. But, um, maybe we could at least get them to see, look, look, this is harming pets and maybe we could make some changes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really think our next webinar, Dr. Jasek, needs to be on itchy pets. And here's why, because I see, and I think you would agree, correct me if I'm wrong, that these itchy pets end up with cancer so often, right? Because they've been injected with something, they're eating bad food, they're itching, then they move over to the immune suppressants. And then we see these cancer dogs. I mean, would you agree with that? Or what would you have to say about that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because they're automatically treated 
symptomatically. You know, my little Max, when he came from the farm, um, you know, he, he didn't have a good looking coat and his skin didn't look all that great. And he was quite itchy. And, um, and then I saw him start to pass worms. So I did treat him for that and he's gotten a lot better. Um, and now his coat is transforming, but it's taken, let's see, when did we get him kind of beginning of August, probably in about six weeks now. And I can just see, and his coat is just, just beginning to transform, but it takes time and he's itching less. He still has some itchy spots, but his coat looks good. His coat looks healthy. His skin's much healthier. He didn't have hardly any hair on his tummy. Um, I just think he was a bit malnourished. He just didn't have a good, consistently balanced diet. But I think what would have happened to little Max if somebody had adopted him, taken him right into the vet, who would have given him a bunch of vaccines, he would have itched even worse. And then a few months later, he would have been on something like Apoquil or getting Cytopoint shots. And you're right. By the time he was four or five years old, they'd be treating cancer. I'm like, well, we just don't know what happened here. I'm just allowing his body time to get healthy. He's going to build in his immune system. I see his coat transforming. So mm -hmm. I know his, his body is getting healthier. He's active. He's, he's bright and alert, you know, he's clearly a healthy puppy and the itchiness is getting better. Um, but I know it's, it's going to take time. It takes time for those skin cells to heal and, but I just think it just makes me so sad to think about how many, probably the majority of puppies would have gotten pumped full of shots and, and all kinds of other stuff. And then, yeah, end up with cancer in a few years. Yeah. So that's, that's the next webinar that we need to do. Um, I think that this cancer webinar, uh, part one, part two, part three, that is now up on the websites in the supplement section. It's also in the educational video section um, is so important. Right. Because again, you do have to change your mindset. And if you've never been exposed to what causes cancer and somehow your mind has just said, well, it just happens, you will see in th this cancer webinar that it doesn't just happen. And you will also see that you don't just have to go down the same old path that is not very effective. <laughs> it's expensive, mm -hmm. not very effective. Um, right. so that, that is a really good one. And you guys, you can't, you, you gotta, you gotta connect the right dots. And the first thing is what food are you feeding? Right? Because if you're feeding kibble, forget the mm -hmm. allergy medications or forget the, don't do the, the testing. Don't yeah. waste your, that's a waste of money. Right. It, it's not just the pollen that's in the air. It is what's inside the body. And so we have to really look at that. And if you're putting um, all of these supplements on top of a kibble and then you, your vet says, give them Benadryl. I mean, come on, guys. The, these things aren't your dog's not made for that. And we think we, we have to you know, ask the question, why? So if you say, well, my dog has allergies, my dog itches in the spring. Well, why does your dog itch in the spring? Dogs shouldn't itch in the spring if they're healthy and their gut's healthy. And I think a lot of this comes down to gut health because dogs are breathing in and then swallowing these same allergens. You know, we think that they're, you know, maybe just breathing them in because people tend to have more respiratory signs when they have allergies, but these dogs are breathing these into their nose and then they're swallowing them down into their GI tract. And 
they're causing ir irritation while well, they're getting if the guts already inflamed. So we have a leaky gut, then these pollens and everything are just getting right up in the bloodstream and they shouldn't be there. And they're there because the gut's unhealthy. So it's showing up in the skin, but the real issue is the gut. And that's because of the poor diets and all these other things we're talking about. Yeah. Certainly stay tuned for more educational webinars coming your way on my site, Dr. Jasek's site. Also, let's mention your Substack, Dr. Jasek. You've got that out there now. What is the URL to get in your VIP group, your group that gets the information directly from you uh, on the Substack? Saying things that maybe you can't say other places. Yeah, where where do they go to find that? It's judyjasicdvm.substack.com. Okay. And, and, I've got a, and I've got podcasts and I got the written articles are free and the, and the podcast is a, a subscription. It's just eight bucks a month. And I'm going to try to do at, at least two videos a week. So it's a dollar a video. Hopefully. That's worth be, it. Hopefully the information will be at least that valuable to people. Well, I think your dog's worth it. And uh, you can't help your dog if you don't have the education, right? So uh, don't let the false narratives uh, get you off track and cause you to do things that aren't in the best interests of yourself and your pet. Because that's really right. what it is. You know, right. they're trying to um, gain control of supplements that are out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, which yeah. is is frightening as all get out because they want to move everything to a prescription model. Mm -hmm. Now that's that Dr. Jasek is very frightening. And if that doesn't make your head snap, mm. sure, because then they have ultimate control. You know, they don't want people figuring out how to keep themselves or their pets healthy and just going to the store and buying some, you know, healthy herbs. They want to have control and they want to be able to continue to poison us. I mean, I do think that's the the agenda because all of these, you know, medical procedures on the conventional side that are so toxic, you know, they keep doing them and they got to know, and it's the same in the pets. So it's a, you know, sadly it's as Catherine Austin Fitz said, it's the great poisoning and we're right in the middle of it. And you just have to be, you have to be careful and stick to your guns. Right. Right. Well, we'll help you tell your friends to get over to the raw dog food truth podcast you know, if you have somebody that's got an itchy dog, they got a cancer diagnosis, a seizure dog, uh, chronic kidney disease, whatever, uh, we're going to talk about it right here on the podcast. Make sure that you check out Dr. Jasek's site. It's ahavet.com, ahavet.com, yeah, that one. Yeah, that. That, 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 <laughs> ahavet.com. Easy for you to say. <laughs> it is uh, on Mon on uh, Wednesdays. But um, all right, everybody. Thanks so much. Get over to rawdogfoodandcompany.com. Get your dog on a species appropriate diet. You've got to get off the kibble. If you're going to see any type of success, you got to mm -hmm. feed them what they were born to eat. And trust me, it's not vegan, false, fake meat like food that's uh, coming out in the UK. I, ooh, that just, mm. Yeah, it, it just makes your just makes the hair stand up, doesn't it? Just yeah, gotta be kidding. Makes me want to lift my leg and pee on somebody. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, get over to rawdogfoodandcompany.com where your pet's health is our business, and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next week, Doctor Jasek. All right, bye bye. Oh snap! snap. 
Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.